0: Welcome to episode 103 with my guest, Emily Gordon. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the mental illness happy hour 90 minutes of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions and past traumas to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office, it's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. There's all kinds of stuff there. There are uh, There's a newsletter you can sign up for. There's a forum you can post in. There are surveys you can take, about a half dozen different surveys. Um, and I like to read those uh, survey responses on the show. Um, and you can also support the show um, in various ways at the, uh, at the website. Um, what did I want to mention? Oh, there's a really, really important bill in Congress right now, um, called the Shield Act. And I would love it if you guys would call your congressperson and people and uh, tell them that you support the Shield Act. There is a website called eff.org/shield that uh, you can find out who your congresspeople are, what the phone number is, or you can just email them if you don't want to if you don't want to call, but the uh, calling is generally a, a little more um, persuasive uh, because they know that people are taking a little more time out to do that, so they must feel a little more strongly about it. Um, And basically what the S.H.I.E.L.D. Act does is it is trying to combat uh, patent trolls who are really stifling innovation in this country. Um, The shorthand version of what patent trolls are is they are people who threaten with litigation people who have types of digital um, entertainment and digital... Any any place where there is some type of digital innovation, patent trolls go and they see, oh, that person's making money. I'm going to swamp them with a lawsuit that's going to be so expensive for them to fight that they're just going to settle out of court, even though I probably don't have a case. And they are literally clogging our court system and stifling innovation, and it's really, really serious. So please go support it. And again, the website is EFF.org slash SHIELD, and EFF stands for Electronic Frontier Foundation. And um, yes, so there uh, there you have my, my plea, my plea for help. The other thing I wanted to mention was um, in last week's episode with Peter Morrison, um, he had mentioned that at a very early age he became aroused um, by pain, and wound up later in his adult life needing pain in his sexual experiences. And I used the word um, unhealthy, and and I and I kind of regret that. I, I got a, an email from a nice nice listener who reminded me that that isn't the case for for all people. And so I I guess I'd like to to clarify um I feel like if people have a fetish it's fine in terms of how healthy it is if it is not being used in place of intimacy between you and a and a partner. Um and I, because I think for some people if they their fetish, their fetish becomes they're the thing instead of something that adds to the to the thing, and so that's if I could have rephrased that more correctly, and I hope I didn't uh, offend any any people in the uh, in the kink community. I don't really know much about um, that, but one of the cool things about doing this show is I'm getting to learn more about you guys and um, what your what your private lives are like. It's it's pretty fascinating. So. Um, Pardon me if I'm a little clunky with it sometimes. I want to kick it off with a uh, a survey. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Letty Legs or Letty Eggs, L-E-T-T-E-G-G-S. She's uh, in her 20s. Uh, about her depression, she says, um, major depressive disorder, her uh, her OCD. Counting everything, assigning letters right and left, values and balancing words and phrases constantly. My mind never stops. About her PTSD, she writes, childhood medical procedures made me despise my mother. And then this is the one that I I found really interesting. uh, Sensory processing disorder. Incredibly sensitive to smells and pulling away from all physical contact, yet craving big bear hugs and physical pain. I'd never heard of sensory processing disorder. And I know that she had filled out another survey and talked about that. Um so maybe that's something we should post a thread on in the forum because I know when people have disorders that are not um as common as other ones, they something that burdens them a little more is this feeling that they're, you know, a freak of nature and the kind of isolated because nobody else has that so if you if you suffer from that as well shoot me an email fill me in let me know let me know what uh how you experience that that disorder um or go post on the forum this next one is also from the struggle in a sentence uh survey this was filled out by a guy who calls himself hermit zm he is in his 20s about his depression he writes the world will never think i am special or important holy fuck Does that one ring true with me? Uh, About his anxiety, he says, if I don't expose myself to the world, I can't be hurt. No one understands me. And about his alcoholism and drug addiction, he writes, I need to feel, I want to feel, and I want to destroy myself. I'm really related to those. Um, This next one is from the same uh, survey filled out by a woman named Gretchen. She's in her 40s. About her depression, she writes, it feels like I'm dying a little more every day. About her anxiety, pounding chest, dread of human contact. About her alcoholism and drug addiction, a complete waste of my health without enough reward. Boy, do I relate to that. Uh, about her sex addiction. In my youth, it felt incredibly, it felt incredibly exhilarating, yet humiliating at the same time. Um, and then other compulsive behaviors, internet stalking, to soothe myself of past traumas. And then comments to make the, anything to make the podcast better. She writes, "Keep the surveys coming. It makes me feel better to know that I'm not alone. I love when somebody writes that. I love that. It uh, just warms my heart. Um, and I wish love for all of you guys. You know, I my wish for all of you is that you all one day find love as deep as the love that women feel." on each season's second episode of The Bachelor. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. Oh God, it's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible.
1: A million pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. (laughs) That is...
0: I'm here with Emily Gordon, who is a uh, podcaster and uh, podcast producer as well. You work with uh, Nerdist Industries,
1: yes? I uh, I have a podcast with Nerdist Industries, uh, and all I do is talk into the microphone for that one. I don't. You're you're amazing with all your setup here. I don't know anything about that stuff. <laughs>
0: uh we're recording at uh one of the places where you work, which is meltdown comics mm-hmm. on sunset in uh in l a and um, do you spend a lot of time working here
1: yeah i'm uh for a year when we first opened uh there's a, a theater a showroom downstairs uh that I ran from april of twenty eleven until Fairly recently. Oh, yeah, until like June of June of 2012. And uh, I was running I was booking all the shows there. And now I just run my own show. So I produce a show down there once a week.
0: Cool, and you're going to shoot an MTV pilot for that.
1: Uh, Comedy Central pilot. Comedy Central Mm -hmm. pilot. Uh, This week, actually, we're shooting one. I'm
0: switching it to MTV. (laughs) I just think it's a better fit. Could
1: you make some calls? (laughs) Yeah, it might be. Who knows? Uh, Yeah, we're shooting one on Wednesday, and uh, it's definitely my first time at that rodeo. So I'm just, uh, I'm just. My job is to make sure that the live show is as good as it can be. Camera guys, their job is to make sure that part of it is good. So
0: now I can't remember why. I asked you if you wanted to be a guest, since we don't know each other. No, we don't. Um, you've never listened to to my <laughs> podcast. I've never listened to yours.
1: We're virtual strangers.
0: <laughs> um, there might have been, maybe I tweeted something and...
1: Oh, yeah. I think that was it. You, somebody suggested me as a oh, guest for your show, I think, on that Twitter. That was it. Yeah. That was
0: it. Um, I get some really great suggestions from listeners for uh, for guests so i think I think that was it so thank you if uh you 're the listener and you 're and you 're listening um because you told me a little bit about your your background and I was like sounds awesome let 's uh <laughs> let 's do this there 's some crazy and you used to be a therapist also, i mean got so, a couple things <laughs> uh, How many years were you a licensed therapist
1: um i was i practiced uh, I was a licensed therapist for six years from two thousand Three until 2009, kind of 2010-ish, uh, I um, worked with really, really difficult populations because I loved working with them, but I got so burnt out. Um, I worked with all suicidal clients, uh, teenagers who were at a wilderness program for a year, uh, schizophrenic. I worked at a, a home of just all schizophrenic clients, 270. Um, and then I tried to take a job that was a little less stressful and was very bored by it, unfortunately. So I kind of just slowly backed away from it.
0: And so, working with comedians—is that kind of in the middle? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's oddly similar. It's a, it's amazing because a, a big part of it is uh, you have to massage a bunch of different people's egos and know like the one thing that's going to set this guy off is not going to set this guy off, and you have to kind of balance all that. Uh, so I, that definitely, it absolutely helps. I think having a mental health background helps in any job that you have because you kind of get to read people a little bit. I'm not going to say better, but it's just a a little, I I see things a little differently. I'm always kind of sizing things up of like, okay, well, what's the best way to get what I want and get what they want and get what everybody wants? So it definitely, definitely helps.
0: Is there ever been a time where you're like, oh, this person seems to be a, you know, such and such. I'm going to kind of deal with them this way. Is it like a conscious decision that you, you feel like?
1: That's a good question. They're showing
0: the traits of.
1: I will definitely say there's been times that I've been around people that I, and not anybody that I'm like good friends with. And I'm like, oh, you clearly have a personality disorder. And it's like permeating, to me, it's like permeating the air around them. Like I can, it's just like this. Like garlic. Oh God, (laughs) it's like such a strong. And again, the training helped with this. But as you and I kind of were talking about at the beginning, I have, there's a lot of mental illness in my family. So I grew up being very attuned to, oh, this, okay, there's something going on. I need to. I need to be careful and kind of distance myself because this person's not being themselves today. Your
0: kitchen tiles were eggshells growing <laughs> up.
1: A little bit. A little bit. And you would just feel it. it. It To me, I always, I see it, it sounds so cheesy. It's not an aura, but I definitely like, I just see it pulsing out of people. And so there's definitely been people I've met that I've been like, oh, I'm going to stay away from you. And I'm not going to trust you. you. You might be a perfectly nice person, but I'm not going to lend you any money. I'm certainly probably not going to help you move ever because I just, I can't, I don't need any more people with personality disorders in my life. Um, other than that, I think everybody's got a little bit of, a little mix of whatever fun issues and, and, uh. It's not my job to, like, treat my friends, you know? Right, yeah. right.
0: And and I will come across people sometimes where I'm like, this person clearly needs help, but they are needy beyond what I can give them, and it's only going to leave me feeling drained and Absolutely. them feeling like they're not getting enough. So I am really going to put a wall up with this person. Mm-hmm. And it makes me a little sad, Yeah. but I didn't, you know, what is it, the, the, the phrase that they have? I didn't cause it. Uh, I can't control it and something else. I forget it's what the a, third a one is. It's a cause
1: that I can't control it, and I'm not going to fix it. A- and I can't cure it. Yeah, and I can't cure it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's And it's frustrating. It's, and, and I feel like I am the kind of person that my whole life, part of the reason I got into the field my whole life, I'll be the girl that's in a, a public bathroom, and a girl's like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't even know you. Like, what are we doing? Um. So I've always kind of had people approaching me with the, like with their stuff and if it's somebody I care about I'm there 100% but it is a give and take it is um if you are putting more into it than you're getting out of it it's it it does it's not selfish to me it's like you have to think about yourself first because you can't be a good therapist you can't be a good friend if you are draining yourself dry on one human being or on several human beings um and the al- analogy I used to use was uh cake like you ha- your, your job is to give out cake to people, but you have to be able to make the cake. So you have to have people around you that can give you eggs, can give you flour, can give you sugar, because if you don't have that and you can't make more cake, you're just giving out everything you've got, and then you've got nothing. I like that. And then you're useless to everyone, including yourself. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, speaking of diabetes, no. <laughs> I, just, I couldn't resist that segue. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about what, uh, what it was like growing up in your uh in your family
1: um i have a, I have a fantastic family very supportive wonderful i'm from the south um and a big rule in the south where
0: the accent go
1: i made it go away. the dialect i've been gone i've been gone from the south for a while but i also kind of wanted it to go away um where in the south north carolina okay yeah and now that i'm away from there i'm i have all the north carolina pride on the planet but when i was there i was like fuck this but can i curse i didn't yeah, know yeah. Okay, good. Absolutely. Checking. Um So yeah, I I have a very supportive family, very Southern family, and and what that means, many things, but one of them is that you absolutely, you always, women especially, have to give off this aura of, I am perfect, I've got everything under control, everything is totally fine, it does not matter what's happening in reality, you have to put off this very, very... So
0: it's the 50s.
1: It's the 50s, yeah, a lot of it. There's a... um, there's a, I think there's a line from Steel Magnolias where, I'd like, I don't know how you're doing it on the inside, but your hair's holding up perfect. And it's <laughs> such a, it's like exactly perfect. That's exactly how it is. Um, I have a, gra- my grandmother on my maternal side was incredibly, incredibly mentally ill. Uh, a lot of OCD, a lot of near catatonic depression. And she um, went through uh, ECT, electroshock therapy, both in the 50s when it was really, really really terrible and also in the 90s when it was not much better but it was really the only option we had left and so a lot of my childhood was spent and did she it, did it help her it did it would help it, it would help in a way that it would shock her system and and for whatever reason that the mental illness would fall away for a couple days maybe a week and then it would always come creeping back always 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 um but it wasn't anything that was ever harmful it was just her pacing the house on a like near constant basis, her muttering under her breath, just being so tense and muttering, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, over and over and over again. Oh
0: my God, yeah. how can that not fill the house with tension?
1: It. I mean, it, it definitely did, but it was never anything that anybody was in danger, it was never anything that it was like a, a harmful situation, it was just one of those things that my, my sister and I were always like, okay, is she, wh- where is she today? Because at first, she would be like that some days, and then other days, she would be normal, and then slowly it became that that's all she was. Um, And that was really hard. And so we ended up kind of mourning her years before she passed because she wasn't really there. Was that
0: your mom's mom?
1: Mom's mom, yeah. Yeah. Um, And we we lived five minutes from them, so we saw them all the time, all the time. But it was still a thing that, like, her family, her sisters would never acknowledge that she was mentally ill. Like, not... It just was not... Nobody would acknowledge it, even though... And so my, my grandfather had to put up with having to deal with, oh, yeah, no, she's fine. I'm sure she's fine. And then actually trying to help her get the help she needed... Um, I mean, I grew up in a family that you whisper the word cancer, you whisper the word depression, you whisper anything that anything that uh, isn't happy and wonderful and easy, you whisper it, you don't say it out loud. It's weird. (laughs) So I grew up uh, very, very cautious, um, and very well aware of like of people's mental illness. um, And it also kind of, I think, I, and other than that, I, I don't know. I, I it, other than that, I think my my home life was was very very easy and very lovely, and and I have a sister who was perfect, and so I rebelled against that by uh, being an absolute nightmare of a teenager, basically.
0: Like like how? What would you do?
1: Um, I you know, got a lot of piercings. I dyed my hair constantly. I wore all black. I love
0: that in the south. <laughs> Oh, they, they love, love it. Do you
1: know how many times I would come out and my car would have those chick publications, those little cartoon books, shoved under my windshield wiper? Because people had seen me going into a store and wanted to save me. That happened so often. It was ridiculous.
0: What? What's a chick Chick, chick pub-
1: publication are these little tiny brochures that are for churches, but they're like little cartoons that are little like stories about the guy who smoked marijuana, and then uh, he went to hell, but that's okay, you can pray for him and save him.
0: Like a a hand reaching out from Highlights magazine?
1: Basically, yeah. They're really cool. You should look them up. They're actually, the art is really interesting, and they're very bizarre and kind of kitschy, Um, but I didn't really appreciate having them shoved under my windshield wiper and given to me at a mall on a constant basis. Uh, So yeah, I I got really rebellious uh, as a teenager, because I, A, because it's just in my nature, and B, because I wanted to be different. I had this perfect sister, and I was like, I have to do something else. I'm going to be compared to her. I might as well be the most fucked up version that I can be. Isn't it
0: funny how kids will take whatever role is not available? <laughs> it's like, okay, the perfect role is is taken. taken. Yeah. I'll cast myself as this.
1: I'll be the bad guy.
0: I remember casting <laughs> myself as the burnout Um making a conscious decision, changing the way I dressed and deciding I was going to smoke pot every day because I no longer was um, big enough to compete in sports. And oh. my friends all went to the other school. Yeah. So I'm, all of a sudden I went from being a popular kid that played sports in a class of 60 to a the smallest kid in a class of 1,300 with all of my best friends going to the Catholic high school, and it was terrifying. And the only people I noticed would talk to me were the burnouts. And and I liked smoking pot, so I was like, I'll just do more of this. So I just started. And, uh, yeah, it's not a very smart decision, but sometimes... When you're a kid, it's not about being smart. It's about just not feeling alone Mm -hmm. or surviving.
1: Did you feel like you were wearing, did you feel like you were being, did you were like, well, you were like, oh, well, I'm a stoner, so clearly this works. Or did you think that you were, I'll do this for a bit and then I'll go back to normal at some point?
0: Um, No, I didn't think that I would go back to, to normal. I just thought this is, this is, I need an identity. Mm-hmm. and i can do this yeah. i have a job at a chinese restaurant so i can buy weed on a consistent basis so that's <laughs> covered and we have woods behind our house so there's a place to smoke it
1: two things you need that's it yeah
0: <laughs> and uh it it was a it was a very very conscious decision and didn't work out well i got busted the first day of school sophomore year before the first class <laughs>
1: A bad stunner. oh
0: terrible, <laughs> terrible, yeah,
1: I would tell my clients sometimes like some people can smoke pot casually, you're clearly not one no. of them. you're here with me, you're clearly not one of those people.
0: no, my friends nicknamed me the dumbest man alive when i <laughs> when I would get high, <laughs> and that was in my thirties. they would call me that, That's so you can really imagine funny. how dumb I was in my teens, but let's get back to to you uh you rebelling. did you have a group of friends that you kind of rebelled with, and what did that feel like?
1: Um, I was actually in middle school i uh I just had like a couple of weirdos that were like my pals, and then uh, we were teased so much in middle school that I actually ended up getting a hardship transfer to a different high school than everyone else, because uh, they would call me a communist, and they people would try to wash the dye out of my hair. Uh, I would color my hair with markers, and the girls would try to shove me into the under the bathroom sink to wash the dye out of my hair. And I, that's not to say, I, I mean, mis- middle school is miserable for everyone, but I had good friends there. What um, would they say
0: to you when they were shoving you under the sink?
1: Uh, they were calling me a freak uh, and calling me a, a weirdo. And um, I, I mean, and truly, I never, I, I did kind of pick a role of rebellion, but I, ne- I always felt a little, I felt like a weirdo. I didn't feel like I fit with everybody else. Uh, and I think everybody feels that way.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's the only thing that's consistent in all of us is that we all feel like we don't belong. Um, Even those
0: girls that were shoving your head under isn't that crazy? probably felt like, they're they're not keeping it up. And yeah. here's somebody that is admitting that they're not
1: not keeping it up. Not, they not refused even trying. To, yeah.
0: <laughs> they probably hated hated your balls for 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 doing that.
1: That makes me sound way more brave than I was. But it it, it wasn't uh, it, it was part of me being like, oh, well, you're not you're going to reject me. Well, I'll show you why you should reject me. Like, I'll give you a reason to hate me. Um, because you already were going to do it anyway, so I'll just go ahead and show you what what that looks. This lets
0: like. you know that yeah. I know. Yeah,
1: I that know. you don't like me, <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm, I'm gonna not gonna even going to try. It. Yeah, why would I? Why would I try? Um, and then high school was a lot easier because the high school I transferred to, and I'm I don't even know if it's a southern thing, but I do. There is a certain thing of. When you were
0: people fanning themselves,
1: <laughs> sometimes a lot of vapors. Uh, when it's a small town, and it's like this was before the internet, obviously, so it would be a situation anything that's different just really freaks people out, and they don't know what to do. I recently watched a country music video, a very recent video, where the the country music video is of a man of a robot falling in love with a woman and the robot and the woman have like a love affair and then that and then he flies away at the end i think the comments on that video would blow your mind with how they're like what i don't even understand i don't get what this is like how can you not get what it is it's a it's just a. they made a little movie what what's so crazy about this i wish it would just show them playing their music i wish it would just and you notice i'm going into a southern accent this right. is this is what i'm thinking of my people is that my people don't always like change they don't like things that are different um, and they it makes them feel very uncomfortable and I, I get that. I respect that. I respect it more now than I and did. I think
0: that's what's comforting to a lot of people about country music. Is there, there's a predictability to it. Absolutely. And that's what drives me crazy. About. It. I love old, old country music.
1: Oh, Patsy Cline. Holy shit. Yes, because yeah. there
0: was there was. That's when there was still innovation within it. There was enough tradition, but there they were still innovating, and it didn't seem like they were trying. It didn't seem like it was being programmed by somebody. It's like they found what was unique about that artist, and they brought that to the that forefront. Mm-hmm. Where as today, it's like like they stuff down what might be unique about somebody and just, it's it's just, ugh.
1: And maybe it's that we're so much on the outside of that and there, maybe to them there is innovation within it that we just can't see. I, I definitely appreciate uh I I definitely appreciate the idea that different things make you uncomfortable more now than I did when I was a kid when I was a kid All I wanted to do was like rub their faces in it and like be like, yeah, this is different Why don't you go fuck yourself? You don't yeah Um, But when I got to high school, I went to a high school with a lot more kind of liberal uh, Kids and I had a, a very an excellent group of friends there and we all kind of just egged each other on it was Ridiculous we would the way we would dress the way everything we would do
0: and how were you treated by your peers the same way?
1: Uh, it was very interesting. I was in high school when grunge came uh became huge, so like ninety four and so we went from being outcast to being like the cool kids
0: because you were ahead of the curve. You-
1: you could say that. I don't. I, well, whatever. We were on a curve that somehow had the same pink hair as the other curve. But yeah, we literally by the end of high school, I was. I was. People were like, "Oh, sh- yeah, you're pretty cool. You're pretty cool." And that even made me angrier because I was like, "I haven't changed. You assholes have changed." <laughs> no matter what, I was just going to find something to be angry about. <laughs> but that was part of my. That's why I asked you that question. Is that to me? I think the whole time when I was doing like self destructive stuff or when I was, you know, out like being mean, I'm not a mean person. It's never, I, it always felt like I was like, well, I'm going to, I'll be mean for a bit because I feel like I need to, but I'm, this is not who I am. I'm not going to be like a mean, like angry, cynical person for the rest of my life. I kind of, in, in the back of my head, was always like, I'll do this until I don't need to do it anymore, which may not be super healthy, but it's what I did.
0: <laughs> well, did that, you think, kind of fall under the role of being, you know, the, the the outcast, was it kind of testing your own power or did, was, it for, was it for so that you could feel something or was it for the reaction of other people?
1: It was mainly for the reaction of the other people. I wasn't like one of those like numb kids. I was definitely like overly sensitive kid. So I just like put up this huge wall of like, well, you can I'm Billy Badass. You can't touch me. You can't mess with me. Um, and that way, nothing ever got past that. And it always seemed like it was like a costume I was wearing so that uh you couldn't get into that costume and actually hurt me so i was never i would come home and cry like if my mom said something to me i would cry but at school you no nobody could touch me i was never ever ever gonna break
0: what would the 16 year old you have or the 13 year old you whatever whatever age you you were putting that wall up if if that wall could have come down and there was somebody that you trusted more than anybody else in the world to say what it was that you were thinking and feeling and you were afraid of, what would you have said to that person then?
1: That's a good question. Uh, I was afraid of being rejected Uh, because I think the real lesson of maybe just even the culture of where I grew up or maybe it was my family, I don't know, Uh, but the real lesson was if someone finds out uh, how much effort they have to put into like loving you then they 're going to leave they 're going to be out they 're done um, because when you I watched and it, this has only occurred to me years later, I watched my family kind of slowly out of necessity turn their back on my grandmother, who uh you know was suffering but also had become this completely other person and i think and i've j- it 's literally been in the past couple of years that I figured this out I think that Watching that happen, I was like, oh, that's what happens if you are hard to be around. That's what happens. Wow. Everybody just starts uh, being leaving you alone. Everybody goes away. Um, and it's not like we put her out on the street. She was still there, but none of us could talk to her. There were no conversations you could have with her. And I think that...
0: Was it partly because she couldn't recognize her own illness or didn't want to reach out for help or she was trying to reach out and there was just no ability to make a connection.
1: I would like to believe that she wasn't even aware and couldn't reach out because the idea that she was trying to reach out and all of us were just like oh god we can't handle this is heartbreaking. So I would like to believe it was the former. I don't actually The way you
0: described her it doesn't sound like someone trying to reach out. It sounds like somebody trapped in their own world that doesn't know they're in their own world.
1: So trapped. That's exactly, trapped is the exact word that we have used to describe her she was trapped and it was horrible but and there was nothing we could have done to make it any better there was literally nothing we could have done but that that idea really stuck with me that if you get yourself in a situation where you're um, hard to be around then that's it everybody's going to go so that that's really informed a lot I think uh, of my personality a lot of my life and it's been it's been a a gradual journey uh, over time to kind of get over that so
0: I better be enough if I'm going to be loved
1: yeah yeah.
0: I am not lovable exactly as I am no, w- I, with my flaws.
1: I've gotta hide all those flaws. I gotta show them and it's funny because you wouldn't think that a kid, a punk rock kid, would be like I call myself the punk rock Stepford wife. I would be like
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I love that.
1: Patent pending. Uh where I, I it wasn't that I was like, Oh, I'm so perfect. It was like, No, fuck you, I'm fine the way I am. I don't need you and you're not gonna change me and I'm fine and everything's fine, but Really, it was, you know, I would let dudes like boyfriends could be mean to me because I was like, I don't even need you. What, who cares? Because if I let them see me for a minute and then they were like, oh, this is too much work, then I was screwed and then they would reject me. So I always, always kept that wall up and uh, rejected them before they had a chance to reject me. Way easier that way.
0: And you can't let anybody see how sensitive
1: you are. Oh, God, you no. Are. No, no, no. Nobody ever saw me cry, but I would cry at home all the time. Like a drop of a hat. Oh, it was amazing. Um, and I consider that a, a lot of progress when, as an adult, I now can cry easier than I could, you know, just even a few years ago. I I see that as a huge sign of progress.
0: Can you cry in front of other people and let them know what's going on with you?
1: Yeah, I've gotten a lot better about that. That that to me is, and it, again, took me years, but that to me is what strength is. Strength is, is being strong enough to show someone your vulnerability and realize that it's not going to affect you as a human being and it's not going to change. It might change how they feel about you, but fuck them. That's their decision. It's not going to change me. Um, so my my feelings of self-worth have stopped being connected to how other people feel about me, which is funny because it's self-worth. And yet we spend most of our lives having it be really what other people think of you.
0: And make, and make, I think, one of the most common mistakes, which I made for years, was thinking that if I would impress you enough, then i would get the love that i needed instead oh. of realizing oh, no let you know what's really going on with me how much self-hatred i'm in how much fear i'm in how much what you said hurt me
1: yeah you
0: know i'm just now at 50 beginning to realize everything hurts me oh yeah everything <laughs> hurts me yeah and that's why i numbed out for years yeah. it's it's not it's not fun being a uh i don't know what the word is for because i don't want i don't want to minimize it and say a a baby
1: no it's not a baby it's it to me it's it's if anything your nerve endings you just are more attuned and to be more attuned to other people to the world whatever it is you have to have less armor you got to be a little more thin-skinned uh and and yeah i've come to embrace the fact that i am thin-skinned on certain things other things i'm not as thin-skinned like youtube comments I'm all right. I can handle YouTube comments now. It's taken a while.
0: You you, you know that there's haters out there. You know, um, two nights ago, um, I just had this emptiness in my chest. And and I was like, you know, the go-to used to be booze. Can't do that anymore. Then it was porn. I don't want to go there anymore because I know that's not going to fix anything. It's just going to delay the, the that, that feeling coming back. Absolutely. And food is just going to have me put on more weight than and I already have. And then you feel have.
1: terrible about yourself that you ate it. Yeah.
0: And so I felt kind of lame, but I went on Twitter and just said, I have an empty feeling in my chest right now, and I know that... Porn and food aren't going to help it, so I'm tweeting it, hoping that somebody else can relate. And I got all of these beautiful tweets back.
1: Oh, that's amazing! From
0: people that were like, "I'm feeling the same way," or you know, "I'm giving you a hug right now." And did that help? It did. It yeah. totally helped. And then I tweeted about how lame I was for tweeting my pain, but you know, I, I still i I own it, and I still think it was a good decision to 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 make, because it was two in the morning, and I didn't want to call somebody at two in the morning. You know, I have support group friends I could have called. But the point of all of that is to just say that it's amazing when you let people know that you're in pain. There are people. You just got to find them.
1: Yeah, it's true. It it is absolutely true. And I I think the, the idea of using social media for good rather than just to tear people down is a new idea, and it's one that I i love like it's it works it's amazing you can tweet that you're having a bad day and you can tweet if you have the courage to ask for something then you're gonna get it uh which is amazing like it's amazing just to realize we have the capacity for both i mean the internet is not all evil i it took me a while to realize that too it's not all evil it's what
0: you make of it yeah it's like saying the phone is evil no if you're a prank (laughs) if you're a you know perverted uh caller yeah yeah Yeah. it, it is um and the the other thing that I think helped on uh Twitter was uh I said if if anybody out there feels like you need a hug maybe we should just hashtag need a hug and a bunch of people tweeted oh, need a hug and then we just started connecting to each other. Oh, Jesus, and
1: that's so beautiful.
0: It was really nice. <laughs> that's it felt beautiful. it felt really good. Um oh, wow. because I had gone from feeling kind of empty and sad and cut off to all of a sudden i'm sending people a big warm hug and they're like thank you you know that just uh, that it, it was just
1: that's beautiful it's so si-
0: it's so simple and yeah. it's right there for us but it's so why is it so scary to to go to that because we think we're going to be rejected
1: yeah yeah. I mean, that's the worst-case scenario there is that people are like, "Oh, fuck you." Like that that would be the one response you would get and you'd be like, "Well, now I'm even more alone." Or pussy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's a thing that dudes have to deal with way more than ladies do, for sure. Uh, but I over I've tried really hard to kind of get better about like identifying what it is that I need and not sublimating it into a million different things and then just asking for it. It's uh Like what do you say? Well, like, you know, with my husband, uh, who's absolutely wonderful, if I'm having like a shitty day, it used to be that I would have a shitty day and I would like throw a tantrum about something in order to get him to like try to soothe me uh, when really I just wanted a hug and I wanted to be like soothed, even though, you know, there wasn't anything huge going on so I'm much better now although he'll tell you I, I'm sure I still need work on it I'm much better now but I'm like can you just I just need you to like say really nice things to me for like five minutes and then just hug me and be like I that's a, that's all I need and it's not like he doesn't ever do those things but asking for it in a targeted way and just getting it
0: when you need it because sometimes it's you amazing maybe they're giving it to you on a day when you don't need it as Absolutely. badly
1: yeah and the idea and, and then people are like well I'd rather it doesn't mean as much if it's not spontaneous that's bullshit Yeah, there it is. it's complete bullshit you you cannot expect for people to read your mind and know what it is that you need you have to be able to tell them and if you can't figure out what it is you need then that's your work that doesn't have anything to do with the other person you've got to be able to identify it before you can then ask for it and then be open to receiving it those are the three main steps
0: and so many of us go through life trying to reach out for that substitute thing to try to fill that that, of that place yeah. you know be it you know, trying to be more famous or have more money or whatever when deep down all that we want to feel is loved and secure and that everything's going to be okay
1: that's it that's it that's the one thing i actually say tell my husband to tell me is like just tell me everything's going to be okay just tell me that like that's all i just need someone to tell me that and i know it's going to be okay but i just need to hear someone else say it to me sometimes um that's
0: so beautiful that <laughs> that, that i mean that to me is like a really Rock solid foundation for a for a relationship because you're you're exposing the most tender part of yourself and you're opening that up and trusting that person to not hurt that.
1: Yeah, it's it can it sounds really scary when you say it. It sounds really scary, and I definitely have not always been uh, great at that. But I do, uh, especially the my husband and I. We've definitely had. Uh, well, I'll just say it. When we were, when I'd been, we'd been together maybe eight, nine months. Um, when I got incredibly, incredibly sick and was hospitalized, uh, and was in a hospitalized for a full month and almost died, and that. That definitely twisted, did something to me, to both of us, our relationship, but also to me to kind of be like, oh, uh, you've got to be able to trust this guy. This guy stayed with you, watched you while you were like literally in a coma for 12 days on a respirator. Uh, Like you, if you can't trust him with that, then what are you doing? Who can you trust?
0: Just to be an awful host. I'm so tempted to gloss over that just to just to piss you know the what? listeners it's, off it's t- <laughs> to not even ask what it was you were sick with to just go, so how do you think the anyway. Dodgers are going to do this year? <laughs> it's That'd so tempting. <laughs> That's one of the nice things about having your own podcast is... You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. I'd be fine
1: with that. We could even we could even no, cut that and just... Uh, get- <laughs> no,
0: I'm dying to know what what uh, what happened.
1: <laughs> the, well, I mean, it's a it's a sordid and a boring story. I just, uh, I just kept I was getting really sick, and I just wasn't getting any better. It was like a three-month period, and I just kept getting worse and worse. And because I still had a lot of armor up I was trying to convince him that I was fine so I literally have memories of before I went into the hospital of going into a bathroom in a cafe we were in smacking myself in the face and going fucking snap out of it what what is wrong with you you're fine what is wrong with you you're on a date you love this guy what is wrong like yelling at myself pun it like ignoring every single thing that was happening with myself just and I'd come a long way at that point but still clearly a lot of self-loathing going on a lot of uh, me needing to seem perfect um and and then it, it just crashed. I I went to the doctor for like the eighth time, fainted in the x-ray room. Um, and so my doctor put me in an ambulance, sent me to the hospital. And I, the whole time I was like, God, this guy is so melodramatic. Like I was still trying to believe... My heart rate was like 140. I was panting. I couldn't catch any breath.
0: Oh my God.
1: And I was still like, oh, oh God, this is so stupid. Uh, called my husband and said, uh, at, boyfriend at the time, and said, hey, I've got a frosty in my car. I couldn't eat it. Uh, and they took me to the hospital. Can you g- get the frosty out of my car? <laughs> That's li- fucking. I'm an idiot.
0: Emily can't have needs. <laughs> Emily's selfish if she uh, has needs. I'm
1: an idiot. So uh, selfish,
0: selfish Emily in her her 104 temperature and her f-
1: miserable. I was I was so so sick and so um, Camille showed up. That's my husband's name. Uh, showed up immediately at the hospital, and that is the last thing I remembered at all Um, I have what it turns out is that I have a disease called adult onset stills disease which is a a thing that gives you arthritis in your organs as well as your joints so they kept trying to treat me with antibiotics but I wasn't having an infection it was literally my heart was inflamed my lungs were inflamed all of my organs were inflamed and shutting down because they'd been inflamed for so long Wow yeah it's a it's a shitty it's a rare it was on house It was on an episode of house (laughs) And it's a very manageable disease if you know you have it. But before that, because I didn't know I had it, I nearly died. Uh, And so they had to put me on a respirator. Um, Kamel had to call my family to come from North Carolina to be with me. And I spent uh, 12 days on under. And then I woke up and spent another three weeks just trying to figure out what the fuck had happened. Um, And like that was it like that i'm i was like oh i have to change everything i'm done i'm i'm look what i did to myself
0: change everything physically or mentally or emotionally or or both
1: um i would like to say i feel like i am a bit of a different person i think any any last bits of armor i had just dropped away 100 percent. when your boyfriend sees a tube that has your excrement in it because you're in a coma in the hospital, you don't. You can't have much more vulnerability than that. You're you're <laughs> at the pretty, bottom. Like that's pretty vulnerable. You're done. You're you're there. Uh, when you know your mom has to like wash her hair because you can't. I had, I had to relearn how to walk. I because I'd been under for so long that my body just forgot how to do everything. Basically, wow. And relearning to walk wasn't like a. It took like a week.
0: Maybe. How long did it take to relearn to break dance?
1: <laughs> that I'm still working on. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, but that, and that I was like, oh, I've been treating my body like shit. I, I, I was still going to the gym even though I couldn't, I was panting on the treadmill and I was convincing myself that I, something, I was like, oh, you're being a pussy. Get over yourself. What are you doing? Um, I wasn't eating at all. Basically, I, I had just been so, I had been ignoring myself for so long that my body was, uh, that's how I like to think of it, that my body was like, no, you're not going to get to ignore me anymore. We're done here. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, there's a survey on uh, the website for this sh- show where people reveal their uh, darkest secrets and shames, etc. And one of the most common things that I see people write is they fantasize about not experiencing the physical pain, but experiencing the being able to collapse and people rally around them and love them and get the attention.
1: Yeah. Um. The attention em- embarrassed me a, a great deal. That, uh, that took some getting used to. I would just, I would cry anytime anybody would visit me. I would just, I felt so, it took me a bit to go from being mortified that I had caused this much of a problem for everyone, for all my doctors, for everyone, to kind of being like, oh, these people all wanted me to live. Oh, that's cool. Oh. And want
0: to see you yeah. while, while you're in the hospital. Even though want it's to really comfort, hard. Yeah. Want to comfort you. Yeah. Want you to know how much they love you.
1: Like people... Oh, now I'm going to cry. Great. Uh, people that I didn't know very well would come and bring me magazines. And I was like, you're taking... It's hard to get here. It's The the hospital was out of the way. You had to park in this parking deck. It cost you money. It's hard to find my room. These were all the things I was thinking about while people were bringing me magazines. was like, oh, you went through so much effort. You didn't have to do that. No, they didn't have to. They did it because they wanted to. Like that... That is something I never realized. That's something that just never occurred to me, that people would do something nice for you because they care about you and not that they're complaining that they have to do something. They want to do it because they love you. Um, Kamel coming and he would stay the night in my room and we would watch Groundhog Day on his laptop. He didn't have to. It was incredibly uncomfortable for him. I was fully expecting him the whole time. Not really, but in part of my mind was like, oh, he'll just leave. I'm just not going to see him again. That never happened. Like that... And not for a minute did he did he even think of doing that, and that was a huge wake up call to me. that was a big moment of like uh, all these people give more of a shit about you than you do, <laughs> and that's that 's not okay like that can 't happen and
0: that is so common, yeah, that is so common yeah and why 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 is it so hard for us to love ourselves so
1: it's because i i think i felt like uh uh it's not it's not my um it's not uh, I don't know. It's like I'm not. I'm not worth that. Like I'm not. I don't really think I'm worth the other people caring about me. So why on earth would I give a shit about myself? Like that's ridiculous. Um, you know, and a lot of self hatred, a lot of girly self hatred of like hating the way you look and hating, hating all that stuff. Did uh, you
0: feel like the tube come out of your butt was too fat? <laughs>
1: I did. I, I had put on so much weight when I was there because I, it's all like water because you're laying down, you are you know, yeah. and slowly they're like, as you walk, you'll slowly, that'll start to come off. And that was like a, oh, that part was really, really hard for me too. And I kept, uh, I had a terrible limp for like a month and a half afterwards when I got out of the hospital and that mortified me. And Camille would always be like, slow down. You don't have to like pretend like you don't have a limp. Like it's okay. And so when I see people with limps now, I'm always like extra like oh you're this may be just what you're doing right now and you're like this isn't who you are it wasn't who i was but i i fully fully thought that now i'm going to be the sick girl i've gone from being uh i've gone from being this badass punk rock girl to being like just i'm a sick girl and everyone's going to feel sorry for me and so when we and camille and i did some rash things after i got better i got out of the hospital in april we moved to new york city in july (laughs) we decided uh, we picked up and decided we were just going to leave Chicago and go to New York city. And
0: your husband's a comedian. Mm -hmm.
1: And, uh, and we, when we got to New York, we didn't tell anybody that I had been sick. Like nobody knew whatsoever. And that was a weird, that was a both a good and a bad thing because I didn't want to be defined as that. But then I was like, I also want people to know that this thing happened to me. And it was like a huge changing thing. And you guys don't even know. You just see me afterwards. You have no idea what I've been through. And so very slowly over time, um, we kind of told some friends. And now it's just like a thing that if it comes up, it comes up. Like, I, I try not to, like, make it a huge thing or, like, downplay it. But it's just a thing that happened.
0: You know, I'm I'm struck by... I, I always feel like events have... Even if they're bad and they're tough, they have good things that you can take out of them. Absolutely. And I feel like you, you just squeegeed all... <laughs> of the good that, that could have been in there. You know, it's...
1: I try to. There's still... And the, the downside, the negative side of it is that now whenever I get a little bit sick, we both panic and assume that it's happening again that and that I'm going to be back in the hospital, which I've had maybe three episodes since then and I um, can manage them with medication easily. But that's the downside of it is that I now panic anytime I start to get sick. But for the most part, it's it's been one of the most amazing things that I've been through um and i at the time that it happened there was no way that you were going to i even wrote an essay for a website about how i was in a coma and it didn't change me at all <laughs> i don't know who the fuck i was trying to fool <laughs> i was such an idiot like and that was right after i got out of the hospital and i'd like just kind of gotten my my fine motor skills back and was like typing and i was like i want to write a thing about how this doesn't change me at all i'm totally the same <laughs> What a fucking and, idiot!
0: And you and you were a licensed therapist at this time. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it weird how we can lack such perspective on our own lives? Yeah, and can be of such help to other people.
1: Yeah, and there is a saying that you can't go any further with your patients than you can with yourselves. But at the time, I was working with schizophrenics, so I'm like, I I can go that far. I can go that far. Um, But that's why I think it's interesting me saying now, like, oh, I've come so far and I'm doing so great. I'm going to look back five years from now and be like, man, I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was talking about. It's a constant journey. We're never, I'm never going to be done. Like, I'm never going to be done figuring out how to like myself, how to be a good, actualized human being. That's never going to stop. Yeah, and it's like, even if we
0: have an epiphany and we suddenly realize, oh, I've been too much this way, then sometimes we'll swing too much that way, and then two years later be like, oh, I was Mr. Recovery Guy. (laughs) Oh, I didn't shut my fucking mouth, and I go through that.
1: That's why people were uh, ignoring me at parties. Oh, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the guy that went through the change, and then now, yeah. So,
0: you know, maybe... Maybe what we should try to do is just be nice to ourselves and give give ourselves the leeway that we would give a friend. Um,
1: yeah. I think that's huge. That And that was a big, that's exactly a big thing I kind of try to think of is like, never talk to yourself in a way that if you heard someone talking about your friend, your best friend that way, that if you would be angry about that and say something, then don't allow yourself to talk about yourself like that. Why? Like... We already have so many negative things. Like, why on earth are we trying to build more inside of ourselves? There's so many outside.
0: You are uniquely positioned to be your own best friend, and yet it's the last thing some of us do.
1: It's true. And I'm as
0: guilty of it as, as anybody. I am too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> any better i'm getting i I try to get better the the biggest step i've taken now is that uh i don't always know how to shut the voice down but what i can do is be like oh god shut up the same way i would ignore my mom when she would tell me to clean my room or not dye my hair i ignore that voice now i know how to be like oh god you're trying to get me to fail you don't whatever shut the fuck up i'm not gonna listen to you they don't stop talking i try to reduce it down to like a low murmur
0: that's that's a great way of of putting that because i don't think that voice ever ever goes away but but how loud we let it be and whether or not we pay attention to it, yeah. is, it that we have control yeah. control over and some people before they get into therapy or anything don't even know that voice isn't is isn't the truth
1: isn't that crazy
0: that I how was... can that not make you crazy
1: yeah it's
0: yeah we're going to uh, pause the uh, the interview with uh, Emily Gordon and uh, give our sponsor some love. Our sponsor for this uh, this episode is Hover. Are you looking to register a new domain? You want to do it hassle-free and for a small fee? Well, you're in luck. Their domain registration and email management site, Hover, believes that everyone should have full control of their online identity. I second that notion. Uh They have features like who is privacy, URL forwarding, and subdomains included in your domain registration, so you don't have to worry about extra charges. I can tell you, I have registered domain names in other places before, and it is a hassle. You feel like an idiot. It's not clear-cut. Hover is low-cost. It's completely stress-free. Um, it's a simple registration process. And if you have any questions, they offer no hold, no wait, and no transfer phone and online support and tutorials, So you get to talk to actual people who have actual answers. And, uh, I think that's really cool. And because you're listeners to this podcast, if you go to hover.com slash mental, you'll get 10% off. That sounds like a pretty good deal. So uh, go to hover dot com slash mantle and ten percent off your entire purchase with the URL. And I, I'd also appreciate that you go there and uh, show the support that you're you're a listener and that you support people that sponsor this program. Um, yeah. And now let's get back to some more uh, some more of our chat with Emily Gordon. So what are there any other other seminal moments? Um... From say high school onward,
1: hmm. um, I'm sure there's a million that I'm not I'm not thinking of. I mean,
0: because the next thing I want to get into is your your work as a as a therapist and what led you to want to do that and what your experience was like.
1: Okay, um, and obviously that that's a huge that was a huge huge part of who I am and and still is the the uh, clients that I work with. Just getting through grad school, which is um, very difficult to do, uh, was a huge thing. Just realizing that I could kind of get through it and, and actually do it was, was huge for me. Um, other than that, uh, let's see, did we talk about how oh, I'm I'm also divorced? This is my second wedding, my second marriage. Um, and that experience was was a good growth experience. That's what got me into therapy uh, for the first time. I had never been in therapy before. Um, and that marriage was, was great. It just was not... It just wasn't right. Like, it, we both were very aware of it. It was a very amicable divorce, and it was really helpful for me to um, learn what my part in it was and what my responsibility was in that marriage breaking up so that I could then fix it later rather than being like, oh, my marriage broke up, and I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm broken now. Like,
0: Well, maybe you stop talking in that voice. That
1: probably would help, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would help. People hate it when I talk in that voice. Uh, yeah, the, just reinforcing the idea that I'm not being divorced doesn't make you broken that you get to decide what kind of happens from there um i think that was a big and and staying in chicago once i got divorced rather than fleeing back to north carolina which is what everybody wanted me to do was really really good for me to kind of be like this independent like i'm doing it all by myself i don't have anyone here um there's no safety net
0: were you a therapist already
1: yeah i was a i became a therapist in north carolina practiced there for about a year and then um, my then husband and i moved to chicago together because he was getting his uh doctoral degree Uh, in Chicago and then we were there and on like as soon as we got there like it once we didn't have the buffer of our friends and like our regular life we were like oh shit we don't even really know or like each other isn't that awesome (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and then he's a great guy Uh, and then we got divorced and then I stayed uh, and I was working I was doing kind of some trauma work at that point this was before I started working with schizophrenics so yeah I was doing I, I had a job I had a good job there I didn't really want to go back so I just kind of stayed
0: what did you take out of doing the the trauma work if anything what are, what are some things about people with trauma that um the average person might not know?
1: Sad, I didn't know that i've ever thought about this um i worked with part of my job was working with people who went to their job their place of work and was and started acting super erratic or saying they were going to hurt themselves um, and this is a very difficult job because what that would happen then is that the supervisor would call me and be like, hey, can you tell me if this guy's going to kill people or not? <laughs> and then that would be part of my job would be to. Uh, what huge
0: responsibility.
1: <laughs> it was horrible. It was very hard. Would be to talk to the person, um, the talk to the supervisor, talk to the person. Um, and there were a lot of less. That was the most intense that job got. For the most part, it was just people who were sad and their their boss noticed that they were sad. Um, so, and then I, I did a lot of work with, um, courthouse work with domestic violence, uh, survivors. And then I helped run a group with domestic violence batterers, which was, that was a big learning lesson for me. I think, I think people think that people who are in domestic violence situations are dumb, that the women are dumb for staying and that the men are, uh, these sleazy, horrible humans.
0: Cavemen. Those,
1: those guys were charming. Those guys were funny. Those guys were so awesome which sounds terrible to say but i was like oh i i get this now like it's not that's
0: the side that the person that stays sees
1: exactly exactly and that's the side we saw because it was court-ordered therapy and they were all <laughs> their best behavior but i i i think i'd always felt a level of pity for victims uh that was not good no it was really really bad and and uh not all victims but definitely domestic violence victims i think i had I cared about them and I wanted to help them, but I also was like, oh, yeah, poor you. And that's that's not what these ladies want. Like, It's that's much
0: more complicated and nuanced so than that. So
1: complicated, so nuanced. And uh, learning to appreciate that, I think, was really helpful for me and helped me have empathy for the women who would take the men back after they would pressed charges, who would get to court and refuse to testify. Um, I had a lot more empathy for them. I worked with a lot of uh, parents who would abuse their kids and I would have to form bonds with these parents. And that's not easy to do. And so you have to like kind of dig around and find everybody's got some things about them that are redeeming. Everybody's got like intentions that they think are good at some point in time. And you have to kind of dig around and figure out what those are, because if I hate you, I can't work with you. And so I can't hate you. (laughs) Wow. I can hate a lot of things that you do. I absolutely can hate the things that you do, but I have to be able to appreciate where you're coming from or else I can't, I'm not going to be able to work with you.
0: Yeah, I don't think anybody does things hurts people because they want to because that's their first choice. Yeah. I think they hurt other people because they don't know how to not do that. Absolutely, they're compelled.
1: It's collateral damage that you get hurt, and there. Are, but there are people that are monsters. There, I would say, there's a very, very tiny chunk of the population that are sadistic horrible should should
0: just be put down
1: i I don't know what to do with them quite frankly i it's it's yeah it's a horrible thing to propose but there are certain people that i think that there might not be any help for but that's a very small percentage and most of the people almost everybody i've worked with i've seen the glimmer of like oh you want to be a good mom you just think that this is how you are should be a good mom and it's not and it's my job to either help you figure out how to be a better mom that doesn't get arrested or or you know, do my best to do that
0: what percentage yeah. of the people that were hurting others um, were doing it because they were experiencing feelings that were overwhelming and they didn't they didn't know how to handle them
1: I would say ninety percent <laughs> absolutely ninety percent very people uh emotional management is a thing we don't teach people how to do we don't teach it's not taught anywhere and it's it's very very hard to kind of figure out how to do, and most people just don't figure out how to do it. And I'm not... I mean, those of us who have had training aren't great at it all the time. But I think that's learning to kind of figure out, like, identify your emotions. That
0: that is so... It seems like such an obvious thing <laughs> no. but if you've numbed yourself or escaped and and had to not be present as a child yeah. you don't know what you're feeling you, you no just idea. know you want something that takes you away it's
1: either you feel good you feel bad that's mm-hmm. it those are the two options i had this gorgeous poster with like i think it was f- at least like 50 or so feelings and like little faces that went with them but feeling words under each one and i had it for kids and i would have a uh, a suction dart gun and i would have them shoot it and whatever it landed on we would have to talk about that feeling have you ever felt it do you know what it means when would be a situation you might feel it and i did it for the kids but the grown-ups the parents would often be like i have no idea what half of these are and it's not a thing if they don't have vocabulary they just literally had no
0: way to articulate
1: yeah and that's it sometimes that's all you need to do is kind of help people figure out how to express themselves and then the rest kind of takes care of itself but i would say for the most part, people who are lashing out are don't know how to manage what's going on inside.
0: And I think a lot of times too, your brain will intellectually block you from even considering that you would be feeling that way about a loved one.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't oh, I, that's would,
0: true. I wouldn't allow myself to think that I felt certain things towards my parents. And so you just Yeah n- feel numb or you blame yourself or, or, or whatever and you How can you get around the bases when you can't even get to first base? Yeah.
1: And that it's okay to be angry with your parents. I think that's a lesson that I I, I do know a few people that would never admit that they would be angry with their parents. Whereas me, I was very happy to admit when I was (laughs) angry with my parents. Like I had no, that was something I just did not have trouble with. But And so it seemed alien to me for a while that you like, well, yeah, it's okay to be mad at your parents. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It's okay to be mad at. They get mad at you. They hate you sometimes. (laughs) They absolutely do. But that doesn't mean that anything's broken or that anything's going to change. It just means that you are two human beings that have like a relationship. That's all it is. Um, Yeah, all these things are things that I think maybe we don't all think of as obvious, but certainly that's a big part of therapy for me, at least, was helping people understand. The complexities of their own emotions and their relationships.
0: I love that idea of the shooting the the dart at the the thing. That's so great. That would be a fun thing to start on um, Twitter, too, would just be like, you know, today, let's tweet this emotion. When was the last time you You felt felt this? Or do you guys ever feel this? And I just love when people all kind of get to get together and you get that little sense of community because, yeah. man, there is there is almost nothing that a sense of community can't soothe or heal.
1: I 100% agree with you. That, to me, is church. That's why I love comedy. That's why I love all these things because when you have a group of people all doing the same thing, it's that's got a power to it that, like, is amazing to me.
0: And when you gather for that purpose, you know that everybody's motives are for the greater good. Yeah. And so your brain that that tells you I'm being judged. I'm being this. I'm less than. That goes out the window. And that ego, which is constantly comparing yourself to other people and saying you're better than or less than, is quiet, and you feel one of many. And yeah. that that to me is that's to me that's you know that's like God. That's what that's, that's where I God literally lives. say the
1: same thing. I <laughs> say That's where all the good in people and all the evil in people. Is that's where the devil is is when you see a group of people beating the shit out of a person That's but that's where God is is when you see people helping somebody up who's fallen down Like it's just that's all it is to me is like the the power of people doing things at the same time Having the same thought and having the same motivations for good or for bad I think that's that's the most powerful thing we got for sure
0: so what would be another thing that you took out of being a, a therapist and working with, with people. What was working with sch- schizophrenics like?
1: That's very frustrating because they would be like...
0: <laughs> what are the hallmarks of schizophrenia?
1: Um, Flattened affect. So very kind of just dulled everything from the outside. But um, obviously hallucinations, delusions, um, a lot of very magical beliefs. Um, and you'll see a lot of like dressing inappropriately for the weather um, that's a big hallmark. If you see somebody like in a hot day who's wearing like a super heavy coat, that's always a concern. Whenever I see it, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Um, and and the idea that all these are incredibly disruptive to your life—you can't hold a job, you can't really do anything—and it's always it starts blooming in a way that like you just they have they say weird things. They might you might find them like they've hidden a t- like a typewriter or hidden something that you're like, why would you hide that? We're like oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. And then slowly. It just kind of slips away and this magical thinking, delusional thinking um, is is pretty much prevalent. The problem with schizophrenia is that you do need medication like you have to be medicated for it. You cannot, um, you can't treat it otherwise. And the medication makes people kind of listless and it makes them gain weight and it makes them kind of feel dull. And a lot of people prefer a lot of people with schizophrenia sometimes prefer feeling schizophrenic and having their symptoms to f- the feeling that you have when you're on medication and kind of feel like everything's dulled. So that's the problem is that they, didn't, they don't want to be on their medication, the people I worked with. The other problem was that I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't prescribe medication. I'm a talk therapist. So they would be like, um, Jimmy down the hall keeps peeing on his clothes. Can you go talk to him and get him to stop? And I'd be like, okay. But when you go and talk to them, he's doing it because he's trying to clean them. How am I supposed to talk him out of, like, I have to challenge everything to be like, A, you're not cleaning your clothes by urinating on them, so B, you need to stop it. We do laundry here for you automatically. Me, I'm not going to talk someone out of peeing on their clothes if they think they're cleaning their clothes by doing it. So a lot of it was an uphill battle.
0: (laughs) I can't imagine how exhausting that must be if you don't have clearly defined boundaries of what you're going to let go and what you're not.
1: Uh, as a therapist,
0: as a therapist, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah and there were uh, some of the more some of the guys were definitely more higher functioning than others. So we'd work with them on like getting jobs within the facility, which was good. And a lot of them made great progress and would be allowed to go and get snacks, like go down the street and get snacks. And it was that part was great. But it is it's certainly more frustrating uh, as a therapist to work with people who uh, there's a very very little chance that they're going to be discharged. There's very little chance that they're going to be not living there anymore and be living on their own. And that uh that part was it's challenging but it's
0: even if they're on their medication consistently.
1: Yeah, a, a lot of them were and because these were people I should also say this was a home that was like the last stop. Like the family members couldn't couldn't handle them anymore. No more facilities, uh they weren't higher they weren't high functioning enough to be in day programs, which is a big thing people do. So they were like basically like either this or homeless or jail
0: i see so there's there's high functioning and low functioning schizophrenia these
1: these were definitely people who were lower functioning uh overall and so it was it was you have to learn to celebrate the little moments rather than being like oh you got a job and you're leaving yay like it would more be like oh you've kept your shoes on all day today awesome that's awesome um and that's always a shift to kind of readjust when you walk in uh the door every day they were fun to work with they were it was a great group and what's interesting and this is just most of them were in their 40s and they had been institutionalized starting when they were in their 20s which was the 80s essentially so most of them developmentally their pop culture references were all 80s (laughs) which is amazing because it's the decade I'm the most into And uh, so they loved, like when we had Valentine's Day dances or when we did whatever, they would have, uh, they would play all 80s music, which is great. 80s hip hop, amazing. It was just the coolest. It was so cool. And all of them loved Prince. Everybody, not all of them, all of them, but a good number of them loved Prince. So we would... (laughs) There was one day I was in my office and somebody started on Dearly Beloved. <laughs> they were like, We are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, the opening of oh, uh, yeah. Let's Go Crazy. Yeah. And all of them just started doing it. And I just had this moment of being in my office. I was like crying. I was like, this is maybe the best moment I've ever had. It's just like 15 human beings who, their minds are absolutely hammered every day by this horrible fucking mental illness, and they can still remember the opening of Let's Go Crazy. How can you not love that? How is that not the best thing you've ever seen? If
0: I saw that in the movie, I would go, that would never happen. You
1: would go, it's too spot on. Every time I tell this story, people say, it's too spot on. I know it is, but it happened.
0: It's so oh great. Oh my God. I can see you're getting emotional just thinking about it. It
1: was a beautiful moment. And that's another example of like, it's just a group of people that came together to remember a thing that made them happy when they weren't plagued by this fucking horrible mental illness. That's a time, and maybe some of them were already struggling, but that's a time that they remember Prince and they remember that movie and they remember that song it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And so when I left, I left uh, them a couple of copies of Purple Rain because I didn't want them to, one copy to break and then they never have it again. Um, so I gave them my VHS copy. <laughs> oh, That's so place.
0: awesome. I bet you were a fucking great therapist.
1: I think I will I allow myself to say, I think I I worked with teenagers I think I worked with teenagers really well. Um, Schizophrenics sometimes I would have a harder time with, but I think I I think I was okay. I was definitely I was definitely doing all right.
0: I want to tell you my life story. (laughs) I'm not kidding. There is a feeling that I get with with certain people where I just feel like I could collapse in front of them. And you're like one of those you're one of those people. You just have such a a nice uh, fucking energy about you. And I I don't know why I said fucking. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you. I, I that's that's very very kind of you. I I uh, I loved what I did. I love what I do now, and I it's always going to be with me. I'm never going to not be the person. Even when I was like an angry goth punk rock kid, I still I still was this person. I just wasn't I wasn't uh, I was hiding it pretty damn well. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I mean yeah, my whole life it's just been it's in middle school I was like a peer counselor. Like I've just always I've always been the person that. Uh, that I want to. I like knowing people's stuff. I love it. I, I, it kind of does something for me. I don't know what it is, and
0: it brings you closer to them.
1: Yeah, that's certainly true. That's absolutely true. Um, except
0: for the ones that drain you.
1: Except for the ones that drain you, and learning the difference is a big uh, was a big growing up thing G- for me.
0: Too. Well, maybe you could, as, as a, a former therapist, you could help shed some light on that. When when does intimacy turn into draining? Uh, is it kind of like the, the the cake thing that you were you were talking yeah. about before? But how do you know as the person? Who is going to the other person that you're beginning to get draining? Is is it the should the person who's feeling drained say, "Hey, I'm starting to feel kind of...
1: Oh, so you're saying if you're the person who is draining, if you're like exhausting people, how do you yeah. how do you figure that out? How That's do you figure that out? Should I'm the sure other person
0: that. tell you that um, I'm starting to feel this is, relationship's kind of lopsided?
1: That would be an ideal world, but people aren't. That's a really tough thing to say to somebody.
0: I, I actually said that to somebody from a support group the other day, because this guy would always call up, and it would always be in some type of drama. And sometimes I just got the feeling that the drama was being exaggerated, and he liked the the attention. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I, I I could be wrong here, but I get the feeling that that there's a. a a part of you that likes the attention of this and likes the drama of it and I just want to warn you that you can burn people out and he said he said actually that 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 is the case my therapist and I have been talking about that okay I,
1: so he loves he was appreciative
0: he, he was appreciative of that but I was so afraid that that wasn't going to be the sure. truth and I was going to hurt this person absolutely so I mean that's like
1: yeah, that's nothing really nothing causes
0: me more anxiety than than that but I was starting to feel drained by this.
1: One well, had that was great of you to say something. It would that would have been tough for me to do. I think uh I think something I've done with friends before that are kind of draining me and then I'll get to being the draining person cuz that's hard. Uh I've said uh hey, you know, you don't have to be in like a crisis mode for me to hang out with you. Like it's even if you're just having a day where you just want to hang out, you just want to talk to me, if you just want to, that's okay. Like, you don't have to be f- like in a full on freak out to need me. That's fine. Um, and that's kind of worked. And then there have been a couple people I've had to cut out. Uh, I've had to just be like, I need to take care of myself. And uh, you don't, being friends with you doesn't do that for me. I can't take care of myself when we're friends. And that sucks. That's a hard thing to do. That was a really hard thing to do. But I can't um, imagine. I, have you not done it before? Have you never cut somebody out of your life like that before? Broken N- up with a friend?
0: Not where I've had to say it out loud. Um, I suppose I've just probably gone the way of um, they. I turned down enough invitations in yeah. a row that that'll do it too. Th- that they kind of <laughs> yeah, they kind of get the get the hint. But uh,
1: I definitely had the uh, extra help of I. It was after I'd gotten sick and I was kind of getting better, and this girl that I was friends with kept kind of making it about her and being like, I just need to see you. I need to know that you're okay. And I'd be like, I'm exhausted. It takes me 30 minutes to walk up a flight of stairs. Like, I can't, I can't give this to you right now. And and she just kept being like, well, you don't know what this did to me when you got sick. And I'm like, what the fuck it did to you? Fuck you! I don't like, I don't care what it did to you, frankly. Like, this is not the time that I'm caring what it did to you. I care what it did to the people that are very close to me. I don't care what it did to you. And so I had to. That was the one person that I've been like, I, this is not helping me. It's making me feel worse to be around you. I imagine you've had times in your life when you feel like you've been draining to other people. Is that uh, correct?
0: Y- yes. I certainly I, have to. I probably didn't realize it until afterwards,
1: me, oh me too, yeah, no, I don't it's if you realize at the time I would think I would stop, yeah, <laughs> maybe not, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how that's a really good question because I feel like that would be really helpful for people, and I don't know. I feel like maybe you do kind of feel people shrinking away from you. I don't know, do you remember ever feeling people shrink away from you I, when you were like in crisis
0: i don't I don't think i've I've done it with people that were that were close to me i think the one thing i i do too often is i tell too much of my shit to somebody that doesn't know me well in in like a you know one hour or two hour setting there's many times i've walked away from dinner and thought that person that sat next (laughs) to me is probably going to go home and shower (laughs) because i just
1: now this is interesting let's talk about this do you what do you get out of that
0: what i get out of it is when i get a feeling like you if you sat next to me at dinner um i would because i feel safe around you and i feel like you understand me mm-hmm. so i would start i'm always looking for comfort okay i i especially from um women that have warmth mm-hmm. and so sometimes i will tend to spill my guts a okay. little a little bit too much because I want that feeling that I never got from my mom which was to be held and protected and heard and hugged and just thinking about it makes me want to want to cry I feel like I have this dam of tears that only certain people can let let the, the cement come down low enough for, for them to, to, to start to flow and that's probably selfish on on my part uh, to do that around somebody that doesn't know me that well, because it—I would imagine it might be—it might be overwhelming um, for for that person. So I try, I try to be aware of it. So I try to, I try to not, to not do it too much. But sometimes it feels so good.
1: Yeah, it does. It
0: feels so good to feel, and it's the look on a on a on a person's face. Um,
1: well, it validates the pain you've gone through. It
0: does, yeah. And I can see it. You know, I've I, my favorite therapists have been the one where I know in the first five minutes, just from the look in their eyes, the warmth in their eyes, and the reaction on their face when I share some of my pain with them, I know that they feel me, and I, my feelings and my body even were not my own as a kid i was told that my what i was feeling was wrong i was told that i was selfish and i was rotten and etc cetera, etc cetera, and my body was kind of violated i was just very much my who i was as a human being was was kind of denied mm-hmm. and so when i come across somebody that i feel i feel like would love me for who i am it's incredibly powerful incredibly powerful to me and sometimes i i want more of it it's almost like a, it's almost like a drug
1: and it's interesting because if you have someone that you you know is in your life that you do love that knows you well what are you going to just keep telling him your story over and yeah. over again like how do you keep getting that feeling from someone that you already have a relationship with that's the interesting part
0: because my you know my wife is not a naturally warm person. She she expresses her warmth in different ways. Um cooking for me, thinking about anticipi- anticipating my needs, extremely loving and extremely giving in those ways, but not like the warm fuzzy kind of nurturing touchy feely. Okay. And sometimes I I crave that. Yeah. And and I'll ask her for it, but sometimes it's it's it just doesn't
1: feel. So, even when your wife is doing stuff that's uh, very like, that's her way of showing warmth, it doesn't feel the same as when you're sitting next to someone at a dinner and you end up telling them everything about you.
0: Or, you know, talking to somebody at a support group afterwards and I can feel the tears starting to wall up in my throat and they're like, Are you okay? Do you need a hug? And they'll give me a hug and then I'll just start sobbing. That is like the. And I've done that with my wife too. Mm-hmm. But in a support group, those people have lived through what you've lived through and they know there is nothing like being held by somebody who you know to their very core knows Gets what you. your pain feels like.
1: Absolutely. Um
0: so that can be a little I don't know if addicting is the right word but that would be a, an example where I think I would maybe be draining or inappropriate. Inappropriate might be might be the the, the better the better word for it.
1: Yeah, I can see. And I that's a thing that I'm actually really cautious of. I will deny myself talking about uh, myself or talking about what I've been through on purpose just to not weird out the other person. Like, I almost go the other direction of, like, I can't, like, even if it would feel good and even if it would, like, I feel like I can't, again, I don't want to be a burden. (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to make it so that you feel like you've got to spend the rest of your night comforting me, even if that is what I want, even if that would be lovely to have, I, I, my my desire to not be like still not be a burden is is sometimes is much bigger than that for is, me.
0: Is there a difference in the comfort that you feel uh from a man or a woman?
1: That's a good question. Um since most of the dudes I know are comedians, they are not great at <laughs> being comforting. They're very like uh they'll listen to me and then they'll go, "Oh, that sucks." And then that's like pretty yeah. much it. Uh so and I have some dudes dude friends that are very sensitive and wonderful, but uh for the most part I would say it's it's the girlfriends that I have that are the ones that end up giving me the most uh giving me the most kind of juice if I need it. And my husband, my husband is really really great at he that. He
0: sounds stuff. great. Yeah,
1: he's great at that stuff. He's uh he's he's well equipped and uh it's it's and me, it's also been me trying to figure out along the way how to get that feeling that we're discussing without anybody else, on my own, with being my own self-soother, like being my own self-soothe. Like, that's the term. because They say that for babies. Like When babies can self-soothe, you never got a chance to do that. You never got a chance to learn how to... You didn't have the ability to do that. And that's a really, really tough skill to learn, but that's always what I'm moving towards. As much as I love my husband, as much as I love my friends, my family, I'm always moving towards, like, can I handle this internally? Can I do this to where I don't need to... Uh, don't need anybody else for this? Whether or not that's healthy, that might be another thing that towards... In a couple of years, I'll be like, well, that was pretty stupid for me to think, but... I do like the idea that like, I can do something to make myself feel better. Uh, I, can, I like the idea that I can self-soothe.
0: Is it, is it possible that the best would be to have both? you know a support system of people that
1: 100 percent, yeah being able to self-soothe but also having a, a support system i think is i think that's maybe the goal and i think you and i together make that <laughs> 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 i think do you feel like do you ever have times where you feel like and because i'm not saying i'm always successful at it it's always something i'm working towards do you ever have do you have anything that helps you self-soothe that's not like a
0: prayer and meditation
1: that does help
0: yeah and um you know it, one of the weirdest self-soothers for me, and I, and I don't even know if it would be called a soother, but there's something soothing about it to me, are documentaries, especially about subjects that are kind of dark, <laughs> because it feels like, almost like somebody's holding my hand, and the world is, is saying, other people are going through this, too. Okay. And, and I, I and like There's that. something that I love about a story unfolding that just feels... Um, it just feels good.
1: Okay. Oh, so those, those are actually pretty good. Those are all very good techniques. Because it today. used to be
0: alcohol and weed. that's right. how, That's how I soothed myself. Yeah. And then for a while, um, a long time, it was it was pornography. And I could see that that was cre- creating distance in, in my marriage because that was energy that I could have, you know, I could have had in in my marriage.
1: It's a good lesson that porn should always just be for what porn is intended for. And if you find that you're using it for like distraction or because you're bored, like, oh shit, you got to start rethinking some stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Or you're, or you're feeling feelings that you don't want to feel. And, and you know that you're going to get that glowy feeling after, after an orgasm. Um, sometimes you need to work through that feeling. And I, in the last couple of days I've, I've had that feeling and I finally, um, called somebody from, from my support group this morning and and just kind of got honest with them about this empty feeling in in my chest, and um, you know what I'm what I've been been going through. And I felt lighter after that's I good. hung up. And I think they felt like they were able to be of service to me. Well,
1: that's perfect. Yeah.
0: So it, it, it kind that's of that's really
1: good. I I tend to uh, whenever I'm feeling an emotion, I will I'll tell myself to double down on it and and force myself to feel it. So that I get tired of it. And it doesn't always work. But if I'm feeling empty, if I'm feeling lonely, my husband's been traveling a bunch lately. He's back now. But there were like a couple of weeks where he we would not see each other and we're not really used to that. And so I was like, I'm feeling really lonely. And I was like, I first started making all these like plans where I was like, well, I'm going to go to the beach and then I'm going to go have brunch and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And I was exhausted and then I was like, I'm just going to sit in this. I'm going to sit in being lonely. I'm just going to feel as lonely as I possibly fucking can. And so I had like three days where I didn't see anyone. I didn't talk to anyone. I just kind of was like I'm by myself I went to restaurants by myself and that sounds like not that big of a deal but for me I I had to like I was like I'm gonna burn this up and feel this until I'm like I'm done feeling this Uh, and and then it kind of felt more natural and then I made like a plan with a friend rather than trying to pack my whole day but if I'm feeling really sad um, I'll fucking double down and try to feel as sad as I can if I'm feeling anxious which happens a lot I will fucking double down and try to like let's let's just be anxious as shit for like an hour let's work through every single what the fuck are we anxious about what is going on and then I find that I'm tired of being anxious and I can kind of ease off of it a bit um but I, it's, I don't know how great of a technique it is, but I <laughs> uh, and I, I tend to like, I, whatever I'm feeling in, my best friend and I always had this term, we're like, well, we're wallowers. Whatever we're feeling, we're wallowing in it. I don't feel anything 10%. Whatever I'm feeling, it's 100 fucking percent. So I might as well use that to my advantage if I'm already doing that and just try to like fucking get wallow in it as much as I can, like roll around in it and then and then get up and then try and get up
0: i like that because i think one of the most useless things we can do to ourselves is to say you shouldn't be feeling this
1: yeah for sure for sure all emotions are valid not all your actions are valid but all your emotions are absolutely valid uh and i think a lot of people don't don't necessarily realize that yeah it helps my best friend is a therapist also and i think that helps uh we kind of help each other. We call each other on shit all the time. And Camille and I call each other on shit all the time. And I'm I'm very fond of when people call each other on shit who are close to each other. It's, it's very helpful.
0: I think <clears throat> it helps keep intimacy, you know, it helps keep the blood flow in intimacy. Because I think it can kind of, you can really get some rigor mortis in a yeah. relationship if you just keep sweeping everything under the rug. Even if you feel like you're, don't really... Even if you feel like you're a little off base to be resentful at that person, just talking about your feeling, you know, I just got to let you know that I'm in some resentment right now and I'm not blaming you. I just want you to know where my head is at. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't I mean just... you
1: need to change anything. Right. Well, maybe you do. But yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean you do. But this is just where I am. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's incredibly important.
0: Well, do you want to do a, a fear off and a love off?
1: All let right, right. Let's, let's
0: do it. Let's do it. <clears throat>
1: I don't know that I got a dozen. No, oh, that's okay. I'm sure that I have more than this many fears and loves, but...
0: No, even just a half dozen is, is, cool. is fine. Cool. I got that. Um, I'm going to be reading the fears and loves, <clears throat> excuse me, of uh, somebody from the forum. Lamont Cranston is his forum name. And, Probably uh, his
1: real name. Maybe. We don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know it's not, because I've, <laughs> I've emailed back and forth with It's a pretty them good before. fake name, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh Oh, he did his loves first. Tricky. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, let me stand do- down to his fears. Okay. Fears. I'm afraid that the kidney that I got from my brother was a transplant, uh, in a transplant six years ago, will fail.
1: That's a pretty big one. Um, I'm afraid... Some of these are going to be lighter. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid uh, of falling downstairs. is one of okay. my biggest fears.
0: I'm afraid of dying way too early and not experiencing all the things I want to out of life.
1: Uh, I'm afraid of my illness, uh, adult onset still disease, getting worse as and progressively getting it to where i will be arthritic
0: i'm afraid of being very old and getting something like alzheimer's parkinson's or lou gehrig's disease and then i will have to depend on someone else for everything i have that one
1: that's a big one too yeah uh i'm very afraid of et i thought i'd gotten over it but i was just in universal studios two weeks ago i'm not over it of et yeah very afraid. The character yeah
0: Really? He's
1: horrifying looking. He looks like a monster. He's very scary. And my parents didn't realize that my sister and I were both afraid of him. And so they took us to see the movie several times. <laughs> and I had so many nightmares. And we rode the ride, ET, the ET yeah. experience ride, because I thought I was like, oh, I'll be fine. I am just sobbing in <laughs> this ride. Next to children, my, Camille was like, I mean, explain. Like, she's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. And I was like, no, I can do this. I'm okay. And then I would see him and I would freak out again. Him and that, that wig and hat. Oh, God. Nightmares. Anyway, continue.
0: That is fantastic. Uh, it's horrible. Um, <clears throat> I'm afraid of becoming a pariah among my friends.
1: Oof. I would want to know more about that. Um, I'm afraid of missing my window to have a baby.
0: I'm afraid that I won't be able to pay off all my debts.
1: Mm. Uh, I'm afraid of people thinking that I'm taking advantage of my husband's success for my own career. Big one.
0: Uh, I'm afraid that my fiance will either break up with me or leave me standing at the altar.
1: Oof. Uh, when I was a kid, I was incredibly afraid of the devil.
0: Good person to be afraid of. <laughs> en- enti- entity. <laughs> Whatever. I believe in negative energy, and I'm afraid of negative energy. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid that something will happen to my dad, and I won't be able to tell him how much of a hero he was to me.
1: I'm afraid of something happening to my parents and me being on the other side of the country.
0: Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to hell when I die. That's so funny. I... We've been doing the show for two years, and I can't believe that's the first time we've had that. That
1: is the first time? Yeah. That is amazing.
0: I I think it just shows how many uh, uh, atheists we have as listeners. Yeah, I suppose uh, that's the bigger issue. Uh,
1: I'm afraid of being a burden, which we've discussed. (laughs) Uh,
0: I'm afraid of having something go horribly wrong that wasn't my fault and being sent to prison. I have that one, too. And that, like, all of the, you know, whatever the circumstantial evidence just (laughs) coincidentally and everybody thinks i'm a monster and i'm like but you
1: yeah i i if you if you read too many true crime novels or watch too many documentaries you that's a fear
0: tell it to your cellmate (laughs) clink
1: uh i'm afraid there's a jackson's video called torture that when i was a kid i thought was the scariest thing i'd ever seen
0: uh i'm afraid that i won't be able to get a really good job
1: that's a good one. Um I think that's all I have actually. All right, mine. let's
0: let's go to some loves. Okay. Um I'll start with Lamont. Uh I love turning on the TV and unexpectedly unexpectedly finding a show or movie that's one of my favorites and I haven't seen in a long time. That's a good one.
1: That is a good one. Even if I own it on DVD, I'll still get really excited. Um, I love I love birds and I love I love bird watching. That's like my secret <laughs> there's something
0: really soothing about that we have birds in our backyard and i i I love it and uh sorry how dare (laughs) you
1: i fear dropping
0: things (laughs) um lamont says i love sitting in the backyard at night in the summer with a cigar and a drink looking up at the sky and just thinking
1: wow that's good um i love facetiming with my family that's a new thing that we've all gotten ipads and it's amazing
0: i gotta try that oh it's so great so much better than phone calls with your family
1: yes um, yeah, just specifically. I'll give you the yes. numbers. They're great. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> what if we just started talking about you behind your back?
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. They'd, yeah. they'd get down. They'd get down with it. <laughs> we're pretty honest.
0: Uh, Lamont says, I love driving on the freeway and having a kick-ass playlist of my favorite music on the iPod. Oh,
1: I love that, too. I had yeah. something very similar to that, so I'll just ditto that one. Oh, do you want me to do another oh, yeah. one? Yeah. Okay. I-, I love a day with no expectations. I always have at least a million things to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I love, uh, Lamont says, I love morning sunrises, especially when you have to wake up in the dark.
1: Uh, not me. Um, I love looking at the Facebook profiles of people who have been really mean to me <laughs> <laughs> and seeing how lame their lives are.
0: <laughs> uh, I did that with a guy that was the, the- Biggest dick I've ever worked with is a comedian, and his Facebook photo, he had his shirt off, and I was Whoa. like, Vindicated.
1: Yeah, you're the worst. He human being. is
0: a douche. <laughs> um, let's see. He says, I love waking up to a strong rain early in the morning, realizing that you have a day off, and going back to sleep. Oh, that shit.
1: That's a great one.
0: one. That is a really good one. <laughs>
1: um, I love the way m- my husband laughs. He has a laugh, uh, you know, he's a comedian. He's always around other comedians but he has a laugh that when he's like caught off guard that he doesn't it's like just his like it's a to me his real laugh and i love when i can make him laugh like that
0: Uh, that's that's a beautiful one (laughs) um he loves uh lamont says i love going back to sleep early in the morning and sleeping soundly after having to get up and go to the bathroom i do too
1: yeah that's good being able to fall asleep immediately like that (laughs) shit Um, I love, I actually have, I love Purple Rain. I didn't even know I was going to talk about that today, but I love that movie and it's very soothing to me.
0: Um, I love sitting in my darkened home late at night and working on something creative.
1: Oh, that's good. Um, I love when people feel heard because of something that I've either said or written.
0: Well, I, I definitely, uh, got that feeling with you here today. (laughs) It's really, uh, really nice. Um,
1: well, thank you. I love uh, epic lunches. I'll plan lunches with my friends that are like eight of us in a restaurant, and we stay there for like three hours. I love that.
0: Oh, that sounds great. mm mm-hmm. um, Lamont says, I love that neat feeling I get in my stomach and neck after laughing for a while.
1: Oh, God. That's really good. Oh. Okay, wish I had that one, Lamont. Um, I love uh, I love video games. I, I my podcast is about video games, and I play video games. It, it's very self soothing for me.
0: What is the name of the podcast again? Oh,
1: it's called The Indoor Kids. The
0: Indoor Kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's your favorite video game? <laughs> is there one?
1: I mean, the, right now I'm playing XCOM, which is a really great uh, like resource management strategy game. Uh, and I love that game, but I would say all time it's either going to be it's going either going to be a Super Mario Brothers or a Zelda. probably going to be the first Zelda.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. Zelda was I would not shower for yeah. like right a day and a half and play Zelda. I was like, you don't understand I, the, the, I think this next cave is's tr- yeah. got treasure.
1: It's the best it's uh it's, it's video games are amazing. they're a good they're a great coping technique. You can overuse them for sure, but I think they're amazing.
0: Lamont says, I love the sound a driver makes when it hits a golf ball right on the sweet spot. Oh. That is a good one.
1: I'm actually I feel bad. I there are many more things I love, but I don't know that I have <laughs> anything else that I wrote down.
0: That's okay. We got enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're at uh we're at an hour and a half. Yeah. Emily Gordon, thank you so much for being so uh just being you. Oh just being you. I mean I don't know you very well <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like um I don't know. A, uh, you feel like a kindred spirit, and those are my favorite episodes where I I get that feeling. Well, thank so, you very
1: much. I appreciate that. And
0: I think my listeners are, are really going to like this.
1: Cool. This was great. This was actually... This was a good one. I've not been on a podcast like this before. This was good.
0: Thanks, Emily. hmm I want to have her back, and I want her to be my therapist. I, uh, that, I so enjoyed... Um, Talking to her, it is really nice when you when you uh, come across somebody that um, you feel you feel feels you um, not just hears you but feels you, and um, yeah, thank you, thank you for that, Emily. I want to remind you again to to go to that um, website and support the the shield uh, bill. And that website, again, is eff.org slash shield. And um, remind you that I'm coming to Portland, April 18 through 21, uh, to do some satire. I'm doing my uh, my Republican character, uh, Representative Richard Martin. If you want a taste of it, you can go to the website for it, which is askarepublican.com. And uh, I might be doing a live uh Mental Illness Happy Hour show. I'm not sure yet, but I'll keep you keep you posted on that. Um, before I take it out with a couple of emails and surveys, I want to remind you that there are uh, a couple of different ways to support the show. You can do it financially by going to the website, mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Um, uh, you can do a one time PayPal donation or my favorite a, a recurring monthly dom- donation for as little as 5 bucks a month. All you have to do is set it up once and then it just uh, repeats every month until you decide to to stop it. And I deeply deeply appreciate those of you that are monthly donors. It means so much to me. It gets me closer to my my dream of being able to support myself doing uh, doing this show. Um you can also support it by uh, when you buy something at Amazon, do it through the search portal on our homepage. It's on the right-hand side, about halfway down. Amazon gives us a couple nickels; doesn't cost you anything. I don't know. I don't know what that fucking half-assed uh, voice was, but um, I didn't care for it. I think I was being a little hard on myself. Oh, I get so trapped in my head, you know. I I had therapy today, and uh, I'm really digging my new therapist. But one of the things that she said to me was, um, you really seem to not trust your integrity. You really seem to question your integrity. And um, God, it it was like a, a laser went through my skull. I was like, yes, you described it exactly. I'm constantly second guessing myself. And she said, well, that's one of the results of being in an invalidating environment where your mom one minute is sexualizing and objectifying you, and then the next minute telling you that you're rotten and that you're wrong and denying your experience and saying things never happened that you know for a fact happened. And, um oh, my God, it's. I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but um I suppose listening to that episode with with Emily, she she um there's so much fucking raw emotion has been coming up these last nine months and it's it's um it's overwhelming how intense that pain is when, when I really sit and allow myself to feel that horrible thought that the person who is supposed to protect me exploited me. Um Mm. the nice thing is when I meet somebody else that has been sexualized or violated by a parent I know how they feel and I know that they know how I feel and when I hug a person like that it's so comforting it's so soothing because it's the feeling I've been looking for my whole life it's the feeling I didn't get as a child So imagine, imagine for somebody that's never experienced that, imagine how good comfort feels when you begin to open up that part of yourself after decades of it being shut down, how thirsty that part of you is. And uh, it's a little embarrassing because sometimes I feel like I'm just a big... Clumsy ball of neediness, but it's better than being drunk behind the wheel and trying to numb myself so that I can't think of those things um, I want to kick it off with a a uh, an email from a listener named Sarah, and she writes um I just heard you mention NAMI, uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, NAMI is an, an amazing organization, and their meetings and website can provide a wealth of information. The one thing that irks me, in my opinion here, is that a lot of their programs and classes separate people living with the illnesses and their families. The group I prefer is DBSA, the Depression Bipolar Support Alliance. Their support groups are open to anyone whose life has been affected by mental illness. I've been attending DBSA uh, support groups for over six years, and it has saved my life. I've made lifelong friends and gotten to help people on their journey. Support groups can provide people with all sorts of help, ideas for paying for meds, accessing services, finding cheap or free things to do, books to read, etc. Thank you, Sarah. Again, that's DBSA. And she doesn't say what what the uh, website is, but I'm sure you can find it. That's the Depression Bipolar Support Alliance. Um, This next email is from a guy named Dan, and he writes, Dear Paul, I'm listening to your podcast with Jess right now, and I just heard you read your email from Will. I am also 14 and somewhat suffer from the same thing as him. I have never thought about suicide, and I do not cut myself, but I do hold back from telling my parents. After listening to your advice, I decided it's about time I do something. Paul, I've heard advice like this from you before, but goddamn it, now I'm really going to do it. Um, And so I mailed him back, and I said, Dan, um, hoping to get an email like yours is the reason I started this podcast. You've warmed my heart. Let me know how it goes. And then a couple of weeks later, he emailed me back. And wrote, Hi Paul, I wasn't sure if you actually wanted to hear back from me and not just making me feel good, but in case you were, uh, I'll respond. Ha ha. I told my parents about my depression and went to the doctor and just like talked it out a little. Since it's winter right now and I'm not in any sports and I'm basically just moping around a lot. Since I was doing uh, anything, I was just always Since I wasn't doing anything, I was just always in that bad mood, and my doctor said to work out a lot and run and even diet to lift up my mood. Um, It's been a couple of weeks now, and I feel amazing. I'm eating very healthy, running a lot, and lifting lots of weights. Not only has it made me feel like I, I was the happiest person ever, but I'm in great shape for baseball this year. Thank you so much for the podcast, Dan. And all I can say to that, Dan, is yay. Fucking yay. This is from the Happy Moments survey, and this was filled out by a listener named Annie. She's um, in her 30s, and her happy moment she writes I adopted a dog a month after I attempted suicide. I was figuring if I can't bond with an animal, then I can't bond with anything. It was a quick decision. Just picked her off the internet at a rescue group. I was unsure about it until the first night I climbed into bed, not sure if she would sleep in her bed or what as she was awful nervous and scared. As I dozed off, I felt her weight on my bed and then felt her press her warm body against mine, and I felt such a sense of peace and belonging. She trusted me from the get-go, and we were a pack. I felt like there was something worth staying on this earth for. I can't even tell you how deeply that one touches me. Um, there's a dog that we had from like 1989 to, ni- to 2003 uh, named Charlie, and uh, we found her on the highway, Highway 41 near Petoskey, Michigan. She was just in the middle of nowhere, and um, my wife and I took her and Reported it to like a local vet and said, you know, if anybody claims her, you know, here's our here's our phone number. But we were like, I don't know if we can keep her. You know, we got a tiny apartment back in Chicago. We're on the road sometimes. And uh, the hotel we were staying at, you couldn't have animals in it. So I, um, I had a jacket on. I put her underneath my jacket and we snuck her in and I laid on the bed to take a nap. And she climbed up on the bed, climbed up my chest and put her head underneath my chin. And I just looked over at my wife and I just went, oh my God. And th- the next three days we were just praying that the phone wasn't going to ring. That um, that we get to keep her and we did. I fucking love dogs. And I love you guys. I love you f- for listening to this show and helping me feel less alone. And listening to me talk about my pain sometimes when it's not very eloquent and it's, um, jumbled. You know, shit does not come out smoothly. Pain does not come out. Pain does not come out. At least for me, it does not come out very eloquently, but, um, I know you don't tune into this podcast for the eloquence. You tune in for the honesty and it feels so nice to have a safe space, um, where I can exchange information with you guys and I can get to know your your pain and your darkness and your joy, and and get to share mine with you too. So if you're out there and you're feeling alone, I hope that this last hour and forty minutes, or hour and forty-five, however long it is, has shown you that you're that you are most definitely not alone. And that there is hope. So
1: thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know weird way. bizarrely beautifully, fucked up, is bizarrely beautifully way. fucked up in some weird way.
0: Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in
1: some weird way.